Welcome to season two of the Change the World podcast. This season, I'm going to be speaking not only with nonprofit founders, but with other nonprofit leaders such as fundraising experts, communications executives, and board members. We'll be addressing some of the big issues facing Jewish nonprofits today and brainstorming ways that we can come together to address them. Thanks for joining. everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm really excited to be here with Bacha Wilma, who's the founder and CEO of FunSource26. Bacha, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Sylvia. I'm very excited to be here. Our pleasure. Okay, so let's jump right in. Can you tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into the space? What is FunSource? Give me the, give me the whole story. Sure, no problem. So I came from a corporate sales background and I hold an executive MBA from McGill University. At a certain point in my youth, I was feeling very unmotivated and dissatisfied with my career despite its success. And I decided that I wanted to change fields altogether and do something more meaningful. So I shifted into nonprofit work And I started off working for the special events office of a major hospital here in Montreal. And then I moved on to be the director of development of a major center for children with special needs for seven years. And in the last five years, I opened up my own consultancy, FunSource 26. So it's been quite a journey. And now as founder and CEO of FunSource 26, we help nonprofit organizations obtain five, six, and seven-figure gifts so they can spend less time chasing money and more time doing good. That sounds great. I can think of a lot of people who would be really excited to help with something like that. Is there a story behind the name, FunSource 26? Yeah, absolutely. So 26 is um, the number of Hashem's name. So it's always to remember that all funds ultimately come from Hashem. Oh, I love that. That's really special. So describe like a typical day or a typical client that you work with. What, how do you work together? What do you do for them? Okay, absolutely. So we work with a really wide range of clients. We only work with registered charities that are either registered in the U.S. or Canada and that have been around for a few years, at least three years or more. And what we do for them is we do a number of things. So we build what's called a funding strategy. So we put together a plan for them for the next 12 to 18 months of all the different funding opportunities out there. So we look through our 15 different databases to come up with the optimal opportunities for them from a federal level, state level local level, and then we go into corporate foundations, private foundations, and family foundations. And we come up with a real roadmap for them to follow for the next 12 to 18 months. And this is something that a lot of nonprofit organizations are missing. I often meet with them and I ask them, so what is your funding strategy? They probably don't even know what that means. (laughs) Like what's no. a strategy? Well, it's a strategy. And especially when it comes to grants, they either have never applied for grants before, or sometimes they tell me, oh yeah, I applied once to something because somebody told me about it. Oh, it, it didn't work. And that's it. And there was no actual strategy and plan for sustainable funding. 
So our goal is to help organizations gain sustainable funding. So it's not just about the 12 to 18 months that we're looking at, but the whole goal is that we're providing with them with opportunities that they can then go after year after year and hopefully grow those donations larger and larger every year. So that's one, one thing that we offer to our clients. And then once we have the strategy mapped out for them, then they can take one of two routes. So either if they have someone in-house who can do the work, if they have, let's say, a director of development in the organization, then we can provide strategy and coaching to that person to execute the plan. And for those who don't have the staff to be able to, to execute the plan, then we also offer turnkey service implementation. So in that case, we, we offer A to Z implementation of the entire plan. So we help develop budgets, we work on program design, we build relationships with funders, and we do all the reporting once the funding has actually been obtained. So it's kind of almost, it sounds like like a fractional CFO kind of a relationship. Is that the model that you're looking at? Whereas you're kind of putting someone almost in the organization for an amount of time? Yes and no. I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't call it the CFO position because there has to be certain back end of the organization that's already established. They have to have good accounting systems and practices in order to implement that makes sense. Yeah. But to a certain extent, I would say more like a chief development officer, okay. kind of more like that type of relationship. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, you said about that you work with organizations that are three years and over. Do you find something specific about the three-year mark that's a transition or that establishes the organization at that point? So I use it as just a bare minimum. We prefer to work with more established organizations for a number of reasons. So first of all, when we apply for major funding, there's often a requirement to present financial statements and audited financial statements at that. And in those situations, they, they're asking often for statements two years back. So there has to be a track record. And also the longer an organization has been seated in the community, the more evidence we have to support our case, right? We have proof and evidence that th this organization is serving a lot of people and doing a lot of good. And we have the data to back us up. So it's a lot easier when things have already been established versus starting something completely from scratch. And also don't forget, you know, these types of funding opportunities are competitive. So you're going up against organizations that already have a track record. So I, I only like to work with organizations where I feel they are going to be successful because their success is our success. So if they're not successful, you know, that's our reputation as well. We want to provide them with opportunities where they can really grow their impact. Absolutely. So that it's interesting you mentioned the competition. That really brings me right into my next question. With the work you do, what are the challenges specifically that you find the nonprofits are up against? And is there anything specific to the times that we're in or are they just greater challenges in general? And do you have any suggestions on, on what nonprofits can do about them? That's a great question. So 
I think the challenge, I don't know that the challenges were so different before. I could speak that the challenges right now are a lot to do with mindset, you know, and the mindset of people running the organizations and having a bit of a scarcity mindset. You know, oftentimes I meet with executive directors and leaders of nonprofits that just don't think there's enough money to go around. And if a donor gave to XYZ organization, they're not going to give to us because they already gave there, you know, or thinking that they can't possibly go back to the same donor for more money or that they can't pursue grants as, you know, as a viable funding option because, oh, it's just too complicated and it just seems so hit or miss. I think the ultimate challenge is is not having a plan. So if you don't plan, you can't get anywhere in life without a plan. So I think that's another challenge that organizations are facing. They're so busy and they're so busy doing good and running their day-to-day and their wonderful programs that they get so caught up in, in that, you know, and what their mission is and what they're all about that they forget to do, you know, something very important, which is plan for the future. I love that answer. I love that answer so much because number one, it was so unexpected, but once you frame it that way, it actually just makes so much sense that sometimes our mindset is our own worst enemy. And there's so much, it sounds like in this case, there's really so much opportunity that's being left under the table just because the nonprofit maybe thinks that it's not worth trying and, and looking at it in a new light that opens up all these opportunities is actually really incredible. I, I really like that answer. <laughs> um, so let me ask you a question. Do you work with Jewish and not Jewish nonprofits? Is it um, exclusively one or the other? No, I work with both. So I work with a variety of different organizations from those that focus on health to education, to social services, to employment, So it's really like a a vast array of organizations. And do you find that the Jewish nonprofits have greater challenges or on the flip side, greater opportunities because they're community-based? So I really, I really love that question. And I find it so interesting. I think that there's no doubt that we face challenges as Jews and as Orthodox Jews, especially our lifestyle and values don't always align with the greater society. And so there's sometimes, and definitely not in today's political climate. So it doesn't matter how many atrocities we've suffered historically, there's always going to be those that want to view us as privileged and undeserving of funding or attention. So that's the one you know, challenge that I see we face as a community. But on the other hand, you know, and I don't like to focus too much on the challenge. I like to focus more on the opportunity and the good part. And we're an incredibly generous nation. Statistics show that 60% of Jewish households that earn $50,000 a year donate compared to only 46% of non-Jewish households in that income bracket. That's one statistic. Another is that 76% of American Jews give charity versus 63% of Americans who observe other religions or are not religious at all. 
So as a nation, we are charitable. And I like to, to think that there's, you know, incredible opportunity there and focus on that. Amazing. That's, that's really special. I didn't know those statistics. So you mentioned opportunity. What do you think is going to change, let's say, in the next three to five years? I feel like we're in a time of a lot of transition. The kind of post-COVID world really shook up a lot of things. And I'm just curious how you think that will impact the nonprofit world. Right. So I think there's a lot of changes coming. I know that right now we are in the time of the highest transfer of wealth. So over the next 30 years, there's an expected $16 trillion USD that will be transferred to the next generation. So I see that a lot of organizations or the smart ones are going to focus more and more on legacy gifts. I think that's one area where organizations- For anyone that may not be familiar, what is a legacy gift? So a legacy gift is a gift in a will or trust. It's an after death contribution. So that's a way to help one way, you know, obviously there's many ways, but one way to help ensure an organization's sustainability, because there's no guarantee that that if you, if an organization has a major donor that they depend on year after year for a large amount of money, there is no guarantee that their kid or their kids are going to want to continue to donate to that organization. They may have moved to a completely different city. So they're supporting organizations in their city. Or on the other hand, they may have completely different values from their parents. So I think that one thing that's important is to consider legacy giving to ensure that an organization starts to build an endowment and, you know, grows those gifts for the future and not wait for 10, 15, 20 years from now to come up with these problems where they're, you know, short hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars a year because that donor is no longer there so that's one area i think another area also that you know we're going to start focusing more and more on is the donation of cryptocurrency and nft i was wondering if you would bring that up (laughs) i was wondering because i've kind of seen it popping up and i find and i think a lot of people find it really a hard concept to grasp but it's kind of inevitable that it's going to really kind of become a bigger factor in the charitable world. Absolutely. I think it has to be um, definitely for the younger generation. I think young people now are, are very much into crypto and into purchasing, trading NFTs. So we as, you know, as uh, nonprofit organizations have to find ways to be able to cash in on those donations of assets, just the way many organizations today are able to accept the donation of stocks and other, you know, other assets, you know, more and more organizations, I think, are going to start looking into how they'll be able to accept, you know, NFTs and cryptocurrency. Really, it's very fascinating. And I wonder how long it's going to take to become mainstream. But I imagine that, you know, I'm imagining back in the day when online payments started that was probably like super novel. Like, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of organizations that held on to checks for as long as they possibly could. And now if you're not accepting donations online, you basically, you know, you don't even exist. So exactly. I, I guess there will come a time when it's, it's that normal, but I, I personally cannot imagine it. So I know I hear we'll, you. We'll have to see. Okay. Amazing. So do you have any, I, I'm, I'm a big story person. I love stories and I love hearing people's stories, uh, like something that's really 
special to them that they hold on to. Do you have any favorite stories, maybe a particular success or interesting experience that you can share with our listeners? I have a few. So I could tell you about an organization that came to me about four years ago, and they had never applied to any kind of government funding at all. They had only been funded exclusively through private donations. And they had heard about me and they felt like that there was money out there for them. And so I developed a funding strategy for them and my team and I executed it. And the first year alone, we were able to bring in over half a million dollars of new funding to this organization. And this organization had a budget of about $3 million dollars. And so it was quite a significant part of their budget. And now, year after year, we've been growing that funding, you know, continuing to bring in more different opportunities. And now the funding that we bring in is more than half of their annual budget. And where this really came into play significantly was during COVID. At the beginning of COVID, they lost some of their major donors. One of their major donors owned a major retail company, so had gone gone under during COVID financially and wasn't able to contribute at the same level. And they had also some other, you know, losses in terms of donors relating again to the, the COVID situation. So this funding really came in and replaced that funding from the private donors. And not only did it replace it, but it brought in new donations and encouraged their existing major donors to give even more because they were motivated by the fact that the organization was now growing to a whole other level and it had now gained, you know, national recognition. I would imagine that I I would really venture a guess that the work that you're doing, providing organizations with a funding strategy is really the only way to kind of crisis proof an organization. Because yes, a global pandemic is a once in a lifetime thing, but there are recessions and natural disasters. And I think that you know any organization that's not taking steps to kind of plan for that in advance is going to find themselves at a serious disadvantage. 100%. Also, I think an important factor is just for them to diversify their funding strategy, like to diversify their, their revenue sources. So I don't believe in only you know, having one source of revenue, there should be many different types of revenue that play into the, into it, you know, whether it's major donors, government funding, having, you know, a legacy plan in place for gifts after death. Like there has to be a number of different things, you know, organizing crowdfunding campaigns and events, like everything has its place. A lot of times organizations come to me and they're like, Batya, what should we focus on? And I said, you have to diversify your route. You can focus on a few different things as long as you have a strategy in place and a plan to implement it. I, I love that. And it's funny, the, the work that I do with marketing is, is really a lot of the, the, like similar focuses. And I think that it's both so important to be working together. So that's, that's really helpful information. So if somebody's listening to this and they're intrigued and they want to learn more, how can they contact you? So they can check out our website. So it's www.fundsource26.com. And if they want to contact us, they slash contact. Simple enough. 
All right. Thank you so much for doing this. This was a lot of really helpful information. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Change the World podcast. If you have any feedback or comments, or if you are a nonprofit leader who is interested in learning more about how 14 Minds can help you, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me by email at sivia at 14minds.com. For more nonprofit content, follow me on LinkedIn or visit 14minds.com to subscribe to our mailing list.